0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: Join us today during the Jeep Celebration Event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.
0: It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics.
2: It's time for episode 181 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I've got a great interview with Roland Mann, a comics professional who has served in many capacities in the industry, including writer and creator of such good things as Demon's Tales from the Cat and Mouse series that he created, and also Cray, which is spelled K-R-E-Y, A Barbarian Story. We talk about his time in the industry, and he shares some interesting stories about his experiences, including one at the end you're going to want to listen to that has to do with Marvel and Malibu, and how the second company was purchased by the first. Really interesting stuff, so I'm sure you're going to want to listen. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. podcast roland mann a writer an editor a speaker a professor oh and by the way he's a comics creator as well how are you doing today roland
1: i'm doing just fine thanks
2: and you doing well it was good to meet you at megacon recently and i got to see two of your books which are really great demons tales and cray but why don't we talk a little bit about cat and mouse which is the way that you got a lot of people's attention and it's a comic that ran for two years do you want to talk a little bit about that Absolutely. For me,
1: it's kind of a cool story behind it because as a writer, you're trying to break into comics is kind of a tough thing because Mm -hmm. it's a very visual medium and people like to see pictures. So I had made all kinds of submissions and sent this and that. I already had a stack of rejections from assorted publishers. And just by free chance, I met Steven Butler, who's gone on to do fantastic things as an artist at Spider-Man and Archie Comics and Sonic the Hedgehog. And he eventually sort of became, not sort of he eventually became my roommate after we graduated from college until I got married. And he also had a stack of rejections. And so we just decided, Look, why don't we just put together our own thing? We'll do our own thing and we'll practice while we're trying to get this comic thing together. Mm-hmm. And we were still in college when we met. And he lived in a suite, and his dorm had suites. And mm-hmm. one of his suite mates was Mitch Bird. So mm-hmm. we got together, we put together Cat and Mouse, and ultimately it was picked up by one of Malibu's umbrella companies, Air Cell. I'm skipping some of the early failed attempts at it, but ultimately it was picked up by Malibu's umbrella Air Cell, mm-hmm. and ran for two years. And we were very happy to see it get into the uh, top ten black and white comics per. Um, Comic shop news. they used to run a uh, top comics and top black and white, and for about half of our run, we were there. Cat and Mouse was optioned by Hollywood mm. in early 90s. I like to tell the story. We were optioned at the same time that Men in Black were. Mm. Yeah, the guy who created Men in Black, Will Cunningham, was a friend of mine, and he and I used to swap notes all the time. So he would say, hey, what's happening with Cat and Mouse? And I'd tell him, "And hey, what's happening with Men in Black? And we were about toe-to-toe until Will Smith signed on with Men in Black. Oh. And then that's all, yeah, then that's mm. all she wrote. And, oh, my. Uh, and I still have copies of The Treatment and stuff like that. It's one of those things where... You know, I'm not sure whether I'm glad that it didn't happen or I wish that it happened Mm -hmm. because it didn't go anywhere. But they had a treatment. They reversed the sex of the characters. They made the male character into a Bruce Wayne millionaire type of character, which anyone who's read the comic knows. That's absolutely not the character. Mm -hmm. And then the final straw to me was they had underground tunnels in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And for those who are in the region, they know – that is impossible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And their answer was, you know, this is fantasy and it's a make-up. I was like, okay, look, I am totally on board with this willing suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. I get it. I understand. But the reason New Orleans has such cool mausoleums is because you can't bury people underground because mm-hmm. they float. New Orleans is literally, you know, sinking, mm-hmm. and that's why they have all the levees and the flooding issues. And like, so you can't have underground tunnels in New Orleans. Unless they're made of concrete and you blow out all the air, <laughs> it's just or blow out all the water, I'm sorry, and fill it with air. It's just not possible, but they were in- insistent in it because it was fantasy, and I was like, oh... <laughs> So I still have copies of all that paperwork. But yeah, Cat and Mouse led me to other work, so I was Mm -hmm. excited about that.
2: And of course, it led to Demon's Tales. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's a perfect segue to get into Demon's Tales. (laughs) Let's go right ahead, and since you so ably put us into that subject. Why don't you talk about Demon's Tales, which of course, I love the fact that there's more than one meaning to Demon's Tales. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about how this book came to be and, and how this whole thing started? Yeah, well, Demon was one of the secondary characters in Cat and Mouse series. The primary characters, is Cat and then Mouse,
1: and then Demon's probably our strongest supporting cast member. He has a relationship with Mouse at times, but he was a fan favorite. Folks would write in and say they love Demon, they want more Demon, and, and of course, as the writer, I'm torn about that because it's like, okay, I want to give them more Demon, but the book belongs to Cat and Mouse. Mm-hmm. And so... Ultimately, I pitched the publisher, uh, and I said, look, why don't we just do I – I didn't call it Demon Tales then. I said, why don't we just do a demon Mm miniseries, and that way I can tell this story that I've kind of been hitting at in the Cat and Mouse series, and we can do it and get it done, Mm -hmm. test the waters of demon. And I had also just met Paul Pelletier. Mm -hmm. So I was able to say, you know, Paul is interested in doing this work. He's interested in doing the book. He likes the character. And they jumped at it. They just Mm -hmm. said, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to do it. So it was an opportunity for me to get to work with Paul. Paul had been working with Alpha Productions, a small company out of Maine. Paul's from Maine. And it was all very, very independent. And Paul says nice things in his comments to Demon's Tales. Uh, I think it's actually in his bio here. And so I'm flattered by the nice things he says. The truth of the matter is, even though he says that Demon's Tales was kind of what kickstarted him, he would have gotten there anyway. I'm just very fortunate that Demon's Tales is one of the ones that launched it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how the series came about. Now, Mm -hmm. we struggled with the title quite a bit because obviously the character's name is Demon. DC has a character named Demon, Mm -hmm. so we had to be really careful. Mm -hmm. I still have paperwork around here somewhere where I submitted probably 30 names, Mm -hmm. 30 title names. Demon's Tales was always my favorite Mm -hmm. because, as you mentioned, it does have sort of the double meaning. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to get away from having the word Demon in the title. And, of course, you read the story, so you know mm-hmm. it's all about being a demon mm-hmm. in the story as well. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, they didn't like any of my other suggestions, and I can remember one of them. One of them was Mississippi Mud Puppy because <laughs> at that point, you know, you, you suggest so many titles to them, you're kind of like, all right, I'm really running out of ideas for this. How about mm-hmm. uh, Mississippi Mud Puppy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they <laughs> finally opted to go with Demon's Tales, which I was glad they did. Mm-hmm. So this kind of the story of how that came about.
2: Now the reason why there's more than one meaning is because the demon actually has what three tails? He does. He has three mm-hmm. tails. So there's more than one tail involved in this. But of course, we're talking about demon stories, which is another tale thing about the two. Do you want that's to talk right. about how he became the demon? Because that's important to know as you get into the story.
1: Yeah, it is. Demon is uh, Keith Grayson. He's a veterinarian, so he works with animals. And someone accused me of stealing it from the Flash. I don't know whether I would agree with that 100%, but what I will say is that as a child growing up, I have been incredibly influenced and inspired by 50s, 60s, 70s Marvel and DC Comics. So Demon's Origin is very much, if you want to say, an homage to kind of the old science lab gone wrong, boom, we get this guy. Yeah, so what happens is uh, late at night, there's this explosion in his lab. The explosion accidentally kills his night watchman, and he gets caught up in all the chemicals and the animals that are there, and he becomes this grisly-looking demon that we see here. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like the name demon in general because he doesn't feel like he's a demon, right? He's just a dude. He's just a veterinarian who happened to be in an accident. Mm -hmm. Uh, He doesn't really want to be involved in quote-unquote superheroics, although he does. He gets involved, and he does a good job. Mm And when people see him, they're always making the comment, oh, my goodness, it's some sort of demon. And, and mm-hmm. so he gets upset with it. I'm not a demon. So he's kind of named by the public, and the name kind of sticks with him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, his famous look is the uh, trench coat look. He walks around a lot in cat and mouse with a fedora type of hat and a trench coat. Occasionally his tails sneak out from under the back of the trench coat, which I always thought was kind of funny. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so he keeps to himself at night. After the accident, he had to shift the way that he worked so that he had open office hours during the day in which his receptionist, Nancy, would take in all the animals that have problems and make all kinds of extensive notes. And then he'd come in at night and do all of the doctoring that needed to be done, Mm -hmm. and then they could pick them up the next day. Mm. So it was a weird kind of way to run a clinic, but it works for him, Mm -hmm. and so he's been doing that ever since uh, his accident. He wants to keep it secret from everyone. Mm
2: -hmm. Now, he gets involved with a cult, or the rather uh, the the cult gets involved with him might be the better way to say this. He gets involved with them. and do you want to talk a little bit about who they are and what it is about him that makes them uh, want to get involved with him or interact with him?
1: What happens is a local cult starts to see him and worship him as a real life. Is as if they're real life. I mean, I'm not trying to say that it doesn't exist, but, but they begin to worship him as a demon come to life, right? Mm-hmm. Not a spiritual thing, but a demon embodied. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's kind of annoying to him. Of course, we don't see that in the demon's tales. We kind of touch on a little bit of it in Cat and Mouse as it builds up to this. Mm-hmm. But at first, it's kind of annoying to him. And then what happens is they, they begin to kill in his name. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what sets him off. Is like, okay, you know, it was a little goofy at first. Now... Uh, you guys are killing with me in mind, and it's got to stop. And so this is what kind of sets him on the path to the ultimate conflict with this cult. And part of it is the cult, they're misguided We'll learn that there is someone pulling the strings mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes, mm-hmm. but they're misguided simply because of the way he looks. You know, he does kind of have that demonic representation physically, and he's got the three tails, and so it's very easy to push them in that direction. Mm-hmm. That's how he ends up with the
2: conflict with the cult hmm Now, you also introduced a superhero in the middle of all this, which <laughs> just makes things a lot harder for Pearl Demon. Do you want to talk about him a little bit? I'm assuming you're referring to Champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Champion is a guy who, while I was at
1: Malibu, I kept trying to pitch a story for him. We went around and around quite a bit. Of course, you know, he shows up here. He's real, in here and in Cat and Mouse. I even use him when I do the Silverstorm miniseries, which I'm actually working on a collection for that as well. He's real naive. He's not sure how – because superheroes aren't really a a thing in this world, Mm -hmm. so they don't have Batman, Superman, the Avengers floating around. So all this is kind of new. Mm -hmm. And so he's not really sure what to do. So he kind of believes everybody. And the mafia from New Orleans hires him to come get Cat and Mouse. Mm Mm-hmm. And, of course, this cat ties in with the cat and mouse story, but we we don't need that to see him here. But that's what he's doing in New Orleans. And so when he sees Demon, he just kind of assumes he's cat Mm. because he's got the furry look to him. And he's like, well, he he looks funny, but he could be a cat. And so this is kind of how he gets wrapped up with Demon in in Demon's story. And, of course, you know, we have – The stereotypical, you know, you're the bad guy. No, I'm not the bad guy. I'm the good guy. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so they have this fight. They have a conflict. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, of course, I won't give away the whole story, but Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how you're handling spoilers. But ultimately, they work together. I I don't imagine that would be any surprise Mm -hmm. to anyone. Mm -hmm. But then Champion also learns that Demon is not, in fact, Cat, and then he's got the wrong person. Mm -hmm. I will say this, if you'll let me get in a short little plug here. Sure. I did try quite a bit to pitch Champion to Malibu, but I've recently been talking with an artist – By the name of Kevin Tuma, who did some work with independent companies. Actually, he did a Vortex with me in the 90s. And Kevin is very interested in doing a champion story. So he and I are working on that right now. So I'm very excited that hopefully that will happen
2: in the near future. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Now, one thing we should let people know is that just like Craig, Demon's Tales is in black and white. It is, and is is there a specific reason why you want that? Is is it just because uh, you prefer black and white, or is it because it's less expensive to go the black and white route? Why did you choose to go that way? It is less expensive to go in
1: the black and white route. Of course, I did these before the print-on-demand got to be such a big deal. Of course, now you can take something and you can use a print-on-demand printer… And you can print a very small print run. You don't have to print up 3,000 copies and stick them in your garage. Mm -hmm. But you can actually go to print with 10 copies if that's what you like. Mm -hmm. When I did these, though, print-on-demand wasn't available to us. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the price of printing was incredibly higher. Mm -hmm. It would add at least least 50% again as much just for the printing alone. Now, that's just the printing. If it's in color, you've also got to find a creator to do it. Mm -hmm. I will add this. I have just, and I'll send you a copy of the page if you like, okay. or one of the pages. I have just cut a deal with somebody who is coloring this for me. Oh. And so, yeah, so I'm actually excited to say, hopefully, hopefully, this time next year, well, actually, hopefully, by MegaCon next year, mm-hmm. I will have a color edition of uh, demon's tales
2: well, you have to save me uh, one of those
1: i certainly will I- i'm very excited about that because it's one of these things like oh you know that's so much money and, and i met someone online who said he loved paul pelletier's work and this was an opportunity to color some pelletier work mm-hmm. that he wasn't able to have at the moment so yeah i'm excited for that and I- we haven't got there but i will say the same thing is happening with cray oh well, good Yeah, so once I get close to being done, I'll I'll certainly – and I can send you some pages so you can take a peek at those. But once I get close to being done, I hope to uh, make those available on places like Comixology and – Things
2: like that. So So you're saying the black and white will be more collectible in the future?
1: It will. You know, and it's (laughs) funny because Stephen, the guy who did some of the art for Cray he did the cover for me, he Mm -hmm. said, you know what you really ought to do? Mm -hmm. He said, you need to call these black and white versions the classic edition. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, you know what? I'm not opposed to that. So you know, so this may become, on down the road, this may become what you hold in your hands, it may mm-hmm. become the classic editions. Oh,
2: boy.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs>
2: I have to say, I loved reading the book on several levels. I think the characters are fun. You do a very good job of fleshing them out and making them understandable and believable and that we come to know them. And I also think the balance of action and drama is really strong, too, because a lot of books... There's just some of them that put me to sleep because the discussions are, the word balloons are voluminous and they're dull. And you don't do that at all. You spice things up along the way. There's going to be some dialogue explaining some things that happens here and there. But you know what? There's so much going on that it's really easy to just turn the page real quickly and to keep following the story. So I think you did a wonderful job with Demon's well, thank Tales. Thank you. Wonderful. I appreciate that.
1: You know, the other thing I also like about Demon's Tales, and I can say this looking back a little bit, I like the story of Keith coming to grips with his relationship with his father.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've been asked before, oh, was that you? I'm like, no, this is not me. I have a fantastic relationship with my father. Thankfully, he's still here. And so no, this is not me, but I love the path. Families are very, very important to me. You may or may not remember from Megacon, my daughter and my son were both with me. Mm-hmm. So they may have been running around, I don't know, but they were they certainly were with me at Megacon. So, mm-hmm. you know, family is important to me. Mm-hmm. So I like the journey that he takes. And it's, it's not the A story by any means, but I like the journey that Keith takes and kind of come into grips with the relationship he has with his father.
2: Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, Mr. Pelletier's art is great, too. So it's, yeah. it works on so many different levels. So Demon's Tales – now, I always like to ask this, and this is how we will dovetail into Cray. How do you get a hold of these? Because I noticed you have a full page ad on the back of both of your books for kablam.com. Mm-hmm. Is that the best way to get a hold of the books? Or is it we see you at conventions? What's the best way to do that? Well,
1: yeah, the best way, obviously, is to see me at conventions because then you get a free autograph. Mm-hmm. If possible, I'll give you a link to Indie Planet okay. currently, which is where you can buy either a print copy or a digital copy. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking about removing the digital copy until I go color, but I haven't made that final decision yet. But yeah, you can find it at Indie Planet. Unfortunately, the autographs don't come with it because Indie Planet is a fulfillment house, and I don't even see the copies that you order them. They print them up, and they ship them out, and so I don't even see them. But yeah, if uh, at all possible, when we're done, I'll give you a link to the book specifically, and um, uh, maybe even uh, shoot you a list of the shows that I'll be
2: at. Okay, that would be great. Do you know what shows you're going to be at? Because it, we can mention it here, and I can always include it later on in the in the description. But I
1: do. If you give me a second, I'll sure, pull up right my ahead. calendar so if I make sure I get them right. So this weekend, um, on June 13th, I'll be at a Leesburg Comic Con. Leesburg is a a small place kind of northwest of Orlando. Mm -hmm. And so this is their first ever. I think they're trying to to see if they're big enough to uh, support a Mm Comic-Con. So I'm excited about that. It's a one-day show. Mm -hmm. The next show I'll be doing, I'll be doing Wizard World in Nashville, September 25, 26, and 27. (laughs) And then I'll do Wizard World in Fort Lauderdale the very next weekend, which is October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. So, those are far enough away that you can add those to your calendar.
0: You mm-hmm. look ahead.
1: I've got three more Wizard Worlds that I've agreed to do. The next one that's been scheduled is Wizard World in Greenville, South Carolina, okay. which is July 15th, 16th, and 17th of 2016.
2: Okay, now, I don't know if you've heard this, but I just found out today that there's going to be a Wizard World in Orlando really yeah you might want to check in on that it's coming and yeah Mm -hmm, because that would probably be something you'd want to do so i
1: will absolutely do that one because as you know MegaCon is sold and so there were some although i thought this year ran really smoothly Mm -hmm. i think they've had some communication issues Mm -hmm. with the changeover and ownership and i don't know much about it so i would be
2: very interested so thank you for that information Mm -hmm. i think it's the first weekend of august next year really oh, yeah well we'll see wait
1: a minute there it is orlando august yeah. 5 6
2: and 7 2016 that's the one i'll be dog so yeah if we can uh you we, we'll probably see you there because we're planning to go there
1: excellent I well I, I go, so.
2: as soon as we're done here i'm sending off an email <laughs> <laughs> Get onto that.
1: yeah this is in our backyard no reason not to be there
2: mm-hmm. sounds good sounds good yeah well, let's go ahead and move into cray then okay you have this wonderful quote in your introduction you say, I'm on the belief that every science fiction writer has a barbarian story inside them. And I thought, that you said the Cray is yours. And I find that funny because I often do see sci-fi writers shift over into fantasy barbarian type things. And you're yep. saying that basically it's a natural progression for that to
1: happen. <laughs> I, I- I am, because I, I think that while I love science fiction, I love straight, you know, hard science fiction with the ships and the planets and all that kind of stuff, I really believe that every science fiction writer has a barbarian story. In them. I mean, I used to say everyone has a Conan story in them, but I really don't know that that's as accurate as the barbarian thing. Yeah, it's you know but If you've talked to enough writers, I'm sure you've heard it. Everybody that I've ever talked to say, yeah, I've got a story for a barbarian. Mm-hmm. It's like – Okay, well, every writer I've ever known, I mean, not romance writers or chick lit or not not those kind of people, but Mm -hmm. anyone who writes, you know, science fiction has always told me that they've got a barbarian story in them. (laughs) So, yeah, so Cray is mine. I can't remember. Did I mention my buddy Rob in the introduction?
2: Uh, you know, um, I, it's been a little the, while since I read that I, I, okay, I, I let h- me highlighted that Because I wanted to make sure I brought that up Because I had to find I didn't get quote fun
1: <laughs> Well I'm glad you yeah, like that
2: quote so You said Rob Williams was my RA And I tended to wear my geek badge loudly then You said in your Yeah
1: interview. so Rob Williams is no longer with us um,
2: oh. So yeah He actually is an interesting story do
1: you remember Waco or the Branch Davidians? Yeah. There was, this, what, three or four ATF members killed? Mm-hmm. And Robert Williams was one of them. Oh. Yeah, so it's weird because it's one of those things It's such a small world. And I didn't know this until several years later and someone said, yo, he was one of the ATF guys killed at Waco. And I'm like, I had no idea. But Rob was a super talented artist, but he had zero interest in doing art. He just had no interest. And when he was in my RA, I used to hang out in his room, and we used to talk comics and geeky stuff in general. Mm-hmm. And he was just doodling and drawing. And, and he had this drawing of this character. I'm like, you know, this is really cool. You know, he's always oh, just some, you know, some drawing I've been doing, just a barbarian. He goes, oh, I like Conan quite a bit. You know, I'm like, hey, man, do you want to, you know, like to do a barbarian story? You know, I could like write a story for you and you could illustrate it. And he's like, sure. And so, you know, I took a bunch of ideas and tossed them at him. And then he did some sketches and that's as far as it got, but he gave me, and I can't find them now, I do have them because I know I didn't get rid of them, he mm-hmm. gave me all of his sketches and said, here Roland, these are all yours, make something famous out of them, mm-hmm. and just remember to mention me, mm-hmm. um, and of course Cray sat dinner for a long time until mm-hmm. Stephen Butler, who I've already mentioned earlier, he was my roommate, mm-hmm. and uh, he spotted the drawings because I had them you know in some of my creative folders writers have a lot of folders. I guess now there are a lot of desktop folders, but mm-hmm. I still have a lot of paper folders, you know science fiction ideas, superhero ideas or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And some of them were laying open. he was like, hey who's this you know And so I started telling him about Cray. Mm-hmm. and he was like, that sounds really cool. I like that idea. Well the next thing I know, Steven has done some sketches. I think I actually print some of them in the book. But he started doing some sketches of the character, saying, Yeah, I really like him. He's really cool. Mm-hmm. So I took that, you know, because, again, as I said, as a writer, you really got to jump at the chance for these artists. Mm-hmm. So I took that and said, Okay. And I secretly plotted out a story and said, Okay, Steven, here's the plot. You want to do it? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so we took some of his drawings and I pitched it to Malibu at the time. So we'll go on record as to uh, actually say they rejected it because they were already moving at this time. They were already moving to The Protectors, which I ultimately went on to edit. But they were already moving to The Protectors, but I didn't know that yet. Mm -hmm. And so then we took it to Gauntlet, which was a division of uh, Caliber Press. Mm -hmm. And uh, he liked it and published the series.
0: Mm.
2: Right Now, why don't you talk about what the story's about?
1: Well, Cray is a story of a uh, – it's a science fiction story, obviously, science fantasy. It's a story of a young boy who lives on a world in which humans and mutants are commonly at war. And when I say mutants, I need to probably, to this audience, certainly make sure that it's not the X-Men style of mutants, but it's just mm-hmm. the mutated kinds of beings. But they're constantly at war, and so Cray is taken in a raid as a spoil of war and. That is actually what his name means, Spoils of War, and so he's taken by a mutant during a mutant raid on a human village, and he's raised as a mutant boy. Mm -hmm. As he grows up, he wants to be a great warrior. The Delta Force of this world is the Red Guard, Mm -hmm. and so he wants to be a member of the Red Guard, so he trains and trains and trains for the Red Guard, and he successfully becomes a member of the Red Guard, Mm -hmm. which is an all-human branch, and... As he gets into the service, I guess you could say, Mm -hmm. he learns that uh, the high priestess, which is the ruler of the humans, is actually a very hate-filled person. And she hates Mm -hmm. mutants and would like to see them exterminated. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Cray is not that way because he was raised with a mutant family. So he knows that there's no difference between the humans and the mutants except for the outer uh, covering, I guess. Mm-hmm. So he has to make the decision whether he's going to actually continue to serve in the Red Guard and slaughter mutants, or whether he's going to fight against the evil that is the High Priestess. Mm-hmm. And for those who are listening, they could probably guess
2: <laughs> guess
1: what his path would be because it'd kind of be boring if you just yeah. stuck with the High Priestess, right? So. Yeah,
2: that's true. That's true. Well, again, you've got a great pattern of surprise. And interesting characterization, and of course, Cray takes a bride at one point, and uh, their development over time is really interesting I think it's good very good for a barbarian story. I really love the way that things go along with that uh, let 's just say that not everybody is true to their word as we go through the story. <laughs> when we get to the end of what 's going on, and certain things have happened. And it's just a – you build it up so there could be another Cray story. Out, <laughs> I
1: <'cause>, do,
2: yeah. <laughs> which is very well done. And I was thinking when I got to the end of it, I said, how in the world is this ever going to resolve? And then you resolve. I said, oh, he wants to do more Cray. Okay, that works. <laughs> yeah. That works. Yeah, I do. And the, and the scary thing is I have
1: an old-timey folder. I've got a manila envelope full <laughs> of notes and ideas that is essentially Cray 2. So when the right artist comes along and says, you know, hey, I want to draw barbarians or, or I want to draw a big dude with a sword, uh, I've got the story waiting for them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I did plant some seeds certainly there mm-hmm. at the very end in which um, those who are, are reading carefully can spot that, and, and that is certainly where I want to
2: take the story when, uh, when we revisit it. Mm -hmm, very good so as far as like cray and demon's tales goes and things like this obviously you've got projects you're working on if you're working on getting these colored right um what's the future of demon's tales and cray right now you're you're talking about the fact that you do have plans that you could make a cray to happen yeah where do they stand right now as far as taking these books forward
1: well um as you said, I've already talked about coloring them and releasing colored editions of these. Even though I do have a folder full of ideas that could become great, too, this is not on the plate at all. Um, that's one of those things that the right artist just has to come along and say, you know, I'm interested in drawing this, and at which point in time I would pull out the folder and dust it and get to work. I did talk to an artist a little bit about a second Demon's Tales, and I actually have a story plotted. Uh, Yeah, it's very loosely plotted, and he drew up a few sketches for me and then just said that uh, life is taking him elsewhere, and Mm. he's he's not going to be able to commit to doing it. So that one's not buried quite as deep as Cray just because it's fresh. The story for me was fresh. Some of his sketches are still hanging around on my desk so that I look at them and kind of remind myself what was going on. Mm -hmm. So that could certainly live. Now, the character the character will probably see life again faster in Cat and Mouse because I am in the process of pitching a new Cat and Mouse series. Um, Yeah. So, and I'll give you that link. I do have a Facebook page to promote that. My artist is Henry Martinez. We've done a six-page little pitch story, Hmm. and Henry is actually busy drawing the first issue now. Hmm. So uh, Demon will, because he's just an integral part of that world, He will show up probably not in a large way because it's still Cat and Mouse's story, but Mm -hmm. I feel obligated because it is Cat and Mouse that he be in there if the story is going to happen. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. I am pitching that one around, and hopefully you find the right place.
2: Well, keep me informed, because I'd really like to be able to, I love to write reviews as well as uh, interview folks. And I'd love to be able to review them, and I'll try to review these books, too, as well.
0: Excellent.
2: So we'll get those out there, because they're great fun and they're great reading.
0: Well, it was the kind of book,
2: it. It, it's hard to put them down. You know, when you get started, you've got to get to the end, and then when you get to the end, you go, oh, no, that's it. Oh, crap. <laughs> so I love a book like that. There's nothing better than something that makes me want to go back and, uh, and, and see more about the characters. So well, both of them are very that. successful in that way. I like that. So, as far as other projects you're working on, are there other things that we should know about that you're working on?
1: Yeah, I've got another series. I don't have anything. I've just had a couple new things come out. They're both adaptations. I did an adaptation of a Sony film that was released in September called The Remaining. Uh, I was very excited to be able to work with the artist Kyle Holtz. Kyle was a guy that, when I was editor, I got to work with him when he drew The Nightman. I love Kyle's work. In fact, because we worked on this project, he and I have talked about the possibility of doing some creator own stuff together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing's happened to that. We're still kind of talking. What do you want to draw? What do you want to write? You know, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. That kind of thing. But yeah, it's a fantastic looking book. Emily Connalles, mm-hmm. who was one of the Malibu colorists back in the day, she colored the entire the remaining and so it looks fantastic. Mm. Um, so
2: when's that coming out, and how do we get a hold of it? The remaining is out. and Already? I will, uh, yep, it is
1: out, and it looks fantastic, and I will uh, be happy to supply you with the link. Okay. I think it's probably available on Comixology. Okay. Um I would have to check that, but I'm 99% certain it's available mm-hmm. on Comixology. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was released in either September or October – So if stores ordered it, they've got it or have sold out. You know, a lot of stores only order non-Marvel and DC and and some exclusive independents. They only order whatever their customer base orders. Right. So they may not put any on the shelves. But, yeah, it's out and it's it's available. Uh, Cool. And then I did a one-shot called The Sado Mannequin, mm-hmm. which is very much a – yeah, it's very much it, – but it's, it's very much a Twilight Zone story. Okay. Uh, it's the kind of thing of – a new night watchman gets the job. He's told, don't go in the warehouse. He goes in the warehouse. Of course. And, and, and of course, the Sado, the, the Sado Mannequins. The mannequins come to life and beating. So, yeah, it's a fun little Twilight. It's an adaptation of a short film made by some guys that I met in Alabama. Oh. Uh, yeah, so I'm really cheering for them and hope they go on and do some more cool film stuff. But yeah, so it's kind of neat, and it has two versions as well. The color version is not on Comixology yet, but it is available on Indie Planet. Hmm. And I'm thinking probably I'll remove the uh, black and white version from Indie Planet. But as of now, they're both available. Okay. I have two other pitches, two other projects that I'm working on. One of them is a very family-friendly story called Bear with art from Tim Holtrup. Tim Holtrup is another industry pro who did a lot of work for Caliber in the 90s and left comics after the crash to go do storyboards. So he did a lot of storyboards for Hollywood, and he and I have put together this project, and we're thinking about – Actually, I have three now that I think about it. We're thinking about Kickstartering it. I'm wow. scared to death of Kickstarter, mm. but I think that that's what we're going to try. Okay. So, my other one then is the project that I'm hoping to have on Kickstarter within the next couple of weeks. Oh. And that one is called Citizens,
0: okay.
1: and it's sort of a steampunk post Vietnam War story. Mm-hmm. I had some uncles serve in the Vietnam War, of whom I'm incredibly proud of them, just because they're my family and that kind of thing. But we all know how the Vietnam War affected our country. Mm -hmm. So this is the steampunk thing. The war is over. The veterans return. But when they return, life is not how they left it. And so, this is their adjustment phase and having to deal with the government and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, Joe's work is fantastic. I will say this his style is the most unusual for any artist I've ever worked with. Mm. I, I, and the thing about it is, I don't know how to describe it to <laughs> you. I don't know. I can't label it. I can't say, you know, he's like Image or he's like John mm-hmm. Byrne. It's mm-hmm. just some sort of art nouveau, weird. Cool looking stuff, and I'll send you some stuff of that too. But uh, yeah, that'd be
2: great. Now, what, is the, does he have a website in case people want to go and look at it?
1: You know, he's got a Facebook got a Facebook art page. Yeah, okay. and his name is Joe Badon, and that's J O E Badon B A um, D O okay. N. And it's so we'll just look at it. yeah, it's just an incredibly incredibly unique his page. Is the Joe Badon art page? Great. And you'll see, when you see his art, it's just, I don't know what to call it. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's cool, though.
2: Mm-hmm, very um, good, very good. Yeah. Well, what we'll have to do is let me know when the Kickstarter comes up, and I'll promote the stuff. I, I would like to support Kickstarters if I can. Oh,
1: that would be fantastic. Sport.
2: We'll get the word out about it as well. So, very sounds cool. good. Feels like every episode, I have to say, I don't know how many great stories we missed before there was a Kickstarter.com. Yes. Because people could not get their stories out there. And I, I, I grieve when I think about that kind of stuff. But that's great that, that the opportunity is there for you and other folks to get their stories out so people can support it and make it happen. So I'm, I'm big on that.
1: Yeah, me too. I will say, though, this as a creator, yeah. never having done one, I'm incredibly nervous about it because, you know, <laughs> you're really putting yourself out there saying, oh, yeah. hey – here I am.
2: Will you support me? You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's an all or nothing at all proposition. That's
1: right. <laughs>
2: you know, you can't get twenty-five percent or fifty percent or anything that, that's
1: that, right. That it's
2: all right there. But yeah. you know, there's a lot of folks out there who are doing it now. And yeah. so I would I think it'll be worth doing. There are plenty of people who can give you advice on on what how to make things successful.
1: I've already you got know. two guys lined up. They're friends of mine, they're industry names. Who have run very successful Kickstarters, Mm -hmm. and I've got phone conversations set up with them next week so they can give me their how to do it. And so I'm very excited to be chatting with them and and, uh, getting some of the secrets as to how they run successful campaigns. So.
2: Very good. Well, I'm looking forward to that being a success, too. Now, the last thing I want to talk with you about, and this is something you and I talked about at Megacon, and I I do so with some trepidation because you had mentioned to me that you had wanted to get back into sort of Marvel and DC circles. (laughs) And you, as you mentioned before, were an editor at Malibu. And I had labored under the Internet rumor, the the Internet assumption, that Malibu was bought by Marvel for their printing presses. Lo, those many years ago when that took place. But you disabused me of that notion. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to say a little bit about this, about what, what what the reality of that situation was?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's no secret that Malibu was at the forefront of the coloring revolution. When coloring shifted from the old, uh, I don't even know what they're talking about, the old uh, overlays and artists actually painting onto a page and scanning that. Mm-hmm. I think our coloring department used Photoshop one or two in the coloring. And, and they were very innovative. Now, we weren't the first to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say that, uh, I want to say Digital Chameleon was probably the first. But we were certainly, and I say we, I didn't do any of it, right? I, I just mm-hmm. entered the book and they did the coloring. Mm-hmm. So, but our department was certainly at the forefront of the coloring revolution.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We grew to a point that there were probably, oh, let's see, 60, probably 80 colorists on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, they would work in shifts. They was a, literally like uh, a 9-to-5 shift, and then there was a 5-to-11 shift. I think at one point in time, we were even running like an 11 p.m. to um, – that wouldn't be right. I've got my times wrong. 11 um, p.m. to 7 a.m.? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Basically, we were running some of these computers uh, around the clock. And a lot of people think that Marvel bought Malibu simply for that. And, of course, Mm -hmm. that is not the case at all. Mm -hmm. The reality is if Marvel had wanted to simply buy a color staff, Mm -hmm. all they had to do was come in and offer half of our folks a raise. And they would have easily jumped ship and go. Not that we weren't paying them well. We were. But they would have easily jumped ship and moved to New York to color. Mm -hmm. They could have come and hired our entire crew. Let's just say doubled their salaries and paid less than one—I'm terrible at math, so— but probably paid them less than one-tenth of what their final purchase price was for Malibu. Mm -hmm. So economically, it makes no sense for people to say, oh, yeah, they bought it for the coloring department. Well, no, they could have just bought the coloring department, hired all those people, and it doesn't make any sense. No, the the truth of the matter is Malibu had been in negotiations with DC Comics for some months. I don't know exactly how many months, but I was already aware of this as one of the editors— There were a few in upper management, I guess is how you put it. But there were a few who knew that this was happening. And so we had been in, I say we, our upper people had been in discussions with DC about them purchasing us, how that would work, how that would affect our company. You know, what kind of changes would we see, if any? And so that was already going on. Marvel caught wind of this, okay? The purchase was really close to getting ready to go down. And and I may be exaggerating here, but I think the purchase was getting ready to happen for, for DC within like two weeks. Hmm. Marvel got wind of it. And Revlon, what's his name? Um, <laughs> uh, the, the guy in charge. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, He's got the same name as the dude who was the actor on Beauty and the Beast. What's his name?
2: <laughs> I can't remember.
1: <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, though, right? Yes, yes, Ron exactly. Perlman. Ron Perlman. Ron
2: Perlman. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's not the same one, but he has the no. same name. So Ron Perlman flew to California, toured the offices, and said, basically, what is DC offering you? They told him. He said, I'll double the offer. Bought Malibu that weekend. <laughs> it was simply a political move, right? There's lots of reasons. One, to keep it from D.C., Malibu at the time had the number three or number four market share in the industry. Mm-hmm. Now, whether we were three or number four generally depended on what Dark Horse released that month. Mm-hmm. If they had a Terminator book, we were number four. If they didn't have a Terminator book or a Predator, well, we were number three. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depended on what they would release, right? Mm-hmm. And we had a nice little – an independent chunk, but we had a nice little sizable chunk of the industry. Mm-hmm. The way Marvel and DC were at the time, DC and still are today, right? DC was Mm -hmm. just a few points behind Marvel. Mm -hmm. Had they picked us up, that Mm would have bumped them about eight points higher than the Marvel market share. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. Mm -hmm. Marvel, what they was they weren't hearing anything about that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, the other thing is, you know, Marvel had just gone public with their stock. I want to say the year before that, and just terrible timing in the industry. You can't blame anybody, right? It's just the way the industry was. So if you look back historically now, you look at what their president did. What did he do? He started buying up companies. He bought Malibu. He bought Heroes World. He bought Panini stickers. So what did he do? He went to his stockholders and said, hey, look, we are growing our company, Because, see, we're buying these other companies. They're doing well. They're going to add to our bottom line. Well, of course, stockholders, they ate it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More, more, more. Mm-hmm. The industry collapsed. Mm-hmm. The dude loses his job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. The next president who comes in says, OK, you're gone, you're gone and you're gone. He goes to the stockholders and he says, look, I'm trimming the fat. We had a lot of stuff that we didn't need, and so I'm trimming the fat for our company. It's good for the bottom line. I'm sure the coloring department was factored into it, but there was a lot more at play than that. The other thing is, and here's the weird thing. For DC, they were interested in the library. Right? They're like, oh, look, we've got all these Ultraverse characters mm-hmm. that we can now option off because – and still today, right? There's been mm-hmm. no Ultraforce movie. There's mm-hmm. been no Prime movie. There's mm-hmm. been no Prime animation. Now, we did have an Ultra cartoon, so we were able to get, I think, one season of that. Mm-hmm. But these were all very virgin characters in which the company would have been able to license the crap out of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well – Why is Marvel not doing it now? No one knows. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, no one's talking. You know, I have my suspicions as to why, but it has nothing to do with royalties. They allude to the idea that, oh, it has to do with, it's really confusing paperwork. Mm -hmm. It's not, because the Malibu royalty structure was based off of DCs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. there's nothing confusing about it. It's just Marvel doesn't want to do it.
2: See, this isn't the first time that Marvel's done this. When they got... What was the name of the brothers? There was a two a, a company that was founded by these brothers, and they had all these interesting and not superhero-y kind of things. A uh, hedge knight, they had oh, hedge yeah. knight, and they had all these other ones that were like that, and they were all good and they were wonderful things. And they did a little bit of comics, and then all of a sudden one day it stopped, and it's. it's It drives me crazy also that Marvel, and I don't mean to bash on Marvel, but (laughs) on some levels I do. Who's printing the Disney characters in comics? It's not Marvel. Other companies are doing it. Mm -hmm. There's something... About Marvel and the way that they function, that when they take in a property or a property becomes a part of them, they kind of go, that's not ours. Forget that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I just – I don't understand it myself. but
1: uh, yeah, There's I, something dysfunctional about it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. All those Ultra Force characters, those, those are great. I love yeah. them all.
1: Yeah. And here's the thing. There's no reason they can't bring those back. And here's the thing. Some people suggest, oh, well, if they launched a new Ultraverse without any of the Ultraverse founders involved, right, with any of the original creators, that they would have to pay them royalties. No, they don't. (laughs) They don't have to pay them. Now, if they make a Nightman movie, Mm -hmm. yes, they're going to have to pay Steve Englehart. uh, And I forget who the artist was who was attached to that. They're going to have to pay Steve Englehart a royalty on the money they get from selling it to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Yes, they would. Mm -hmm. But if they do the comics, there's nothing that says they have to use Steve to do Nightman or what. They can do whatever they want. They own the property.
2: See, this makes me want to say words I don't normally like to say on the podcast, but uh, (laughs) I I don't get it. All we can hope is that sanity will one day rear its head again and we'll be able to get some of these characters back. And, you know, if Marvel doesn't want to use them, shake them loose. Let other companies get a hold of them and do them.
1: I agree with that. I agree with that. The only reason I can think of that they wouldn't want to do that Mm -hmm. goes back to two things. A, it was part of their original investment in buying Malibu. Right, they bought Malibu partially to get this library of unsoiled characters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And to sell them off doesn't
2: make any kind of investment sense at all. Mm. Except uh, for they're sitting there doing nothing. They're I, not well, doing I
1: know, I know. And the other thing, though, let's just say you and I are millionaires, and they sell them to us. Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly we become competition to them again.
2: Well, okay, yeah, well, there's that. Them. That's the so, point.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm with you, though. As a fan of the stuff, I wish they would just say, you know, look, we're never going to do anything with this here. Let's cut a deal. You can now own these and publish these books and we're done with it because, you know, we're just going to let it die. Oh,
2: grief oh, it's just, I know it just drives me crazy. sometimes the industry is so strange I cannot figure it out yep but uh, anyway, if you ever the... do please let me know <laughs> yeah, good luck on that one good luck on yeah. that one well Roland it was excellent to talk with you great stuff you're making great books and well, thank you. doing some good stuff and I want to keep in touch with you so we can keep aware of the stuff you're doing and when the Kickstarter gets started let me know and we'll promote that and we'll get things going for that as
1: well. oh heck yeah you'll be one of the first to know how's that
2: That'll be great, Roland. I'm sure appreciate it.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much.
0: People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the Comics Universe News interviews previews and reviews listen to the weekly wayne's comics podcast so you can keep reading your comics
2: that's it for this week. Be back next time when I'll have a great interview with Brian Bucciolato, creator of the successful Sons of the Devil series from Image Comics. But until then, keep reading your comics.